Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I remember, um, I remember Patty and I having a conversation, and it was it was early in the in the um, the time at the hospital, and she was telling me about that song, and we were listening to that song, and and I remember saying to her that you're going to sing that song from stage, and you're going to testify to what God has done for our little girl. And I remember then her leading worship seemed like so far removed from where we were. Like, he's so good and so kind and so loving, yet so strong and so powerful and so able and so much better. And I, I don't know the different things that people right now are waiting on. I don't know the different things that you're facing. I don't know the prayers and the, the dreams that are in your heart. And I don't know the things that maybe delay has caused you to question or maybe even caused you to um, to start to begin to lose faith or hope or whatever it is. But I, I just want to encourage you that um, <clears throat> he's not slow to answer and he's not uncaring and he's not removed and he's not untrustworthy. He is all those things. And sometimes delay to us is not delay to him. Um, I'm going to try to preach this message, and then I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And how many of you guys understand that when he wrote that, he was talking about the Old Testament at the time? Like They wouldn't have been like, oh, he's talking about the New Testament. They didn't have the New Covenant. They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have the Epistles. This was, he's writing to them at a time when all they would have had is the Old Testament. And... <clears throat> And the longer I've walked with God, the more I've found the beauty of seeing who he is and what he's like in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And it, it does a lot for me, but, but it, it shows me the heart of God. And it also, um, it brings teaching and correction into my life. Um, and it, and it, it, it gives me something that I can learn from when I see the way that God is with people and, and I see the way that people respond and what it leads to. And and the choices that are made and, and the result of those choices. Um, turn to Exodus chapter 20. You were in Exodus last week, and we might be there again next week too. But um, it's this amazing story that shows God's heart for his people. And you see who he is and who he wants to be for his people. And you also see that, that sometimes people, not us, but they had a tendency sometimes to not respond in the way that they should have, could have. And you see the result of that, but you also see when people choose him and when people choose into the things that he offers, the result of it. I, I was just, what, what brought me on this thing, and, and now I've got 17 different things bubbling in my heart right now. <laughs> Serious. Um, but what brought me there was I was thinking about the idea that 
it really is our responsibility to show the world what, what God is like. It really is. He's revealing himself through his bride, through his church. And, and we've been tasked by Jesus, as the Father sent me into the world, so also I send you. And he said, I came to reveal the Father. He said, I came to show you guys what the Father's like, who he is. I came to display his heart to you and show you his character and his nature so that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he calls us to walk in this life as he walked, displaying what the Father's like and showing the world what, who he is and, and displaying Jesus and representing Jesus to the world. And, and, and that is a daunting thing, except for that he believes we can. And he's never wrong. So that means we are capable. And he gave us his spirit to live and dwell inside of us, to empower us to live the life he calls us to live. And he poured his grace upon us so that we might become sons and daughters of God and that we would know him so that we're not talking about someone that we know about we're talking about someone that we actually know. There's a difference in knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. I know about a lot of people. I, I know details and stats and, and statistics and, and where they, they are from and where they've lived and where they, you know, different, all kinds of different things about people, but I would never say that I know them because I have no relationship with them. So I could tell you about them, but I don't know them on a level where I could actually show you what they're like. But then there's some people that I know and I have relationship with, and I actually could show you what they're like. I could display the, their heart, and I, I know their response in situations. I know how they'll act. I know what they're thinking. Like, I, I know when Patty's up there, I know the things that are going through her mind because I know her. I know her heart. I have relationship, intimate relationship with her to the point where I know what, I, I know her. And, and I was just, I, I was thinking about how, like, from the beginning, it was, it was God's heart that that his people would know him. So he creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in a garden and he says, I'm going to come and be with you every day. And I'm going to talk with you and I'm going to show you what I'm like and I'm going to display for your eyes and your ears and your senses to experience me and to know me and have relationship with me so that when I speak to you, you know not only what I'm saying, but you know the heart behind it and you understand me. You get me. And, and that was always his desire. And so he brings his people out of Egypt, and he wants them to know him. He wants them to know who he is and what he's like, and he wants to display for them. But there's this thing where there's a person that has to go between God and man. And so, if you have your Bibles open to Exodus 20, move to uh, chapter 18 real quick. I mean, uh, verse 18. Because here's the thing, is that knowing about him will cause you to be able to build a house that looks good. Your life may look good. Your words may sound good. 
and your house may stand for a while. But there's a storm coming. Getting born again is not storm insulation that keeps you from experiencing storms. The storm came to the man who was wise and to the man who was foolish alike. It wasn't as if the wise man doing what he did kept the storm from coming. The wise man doing what he did made sure that when the storm came, and it is coming, what he built would actually last because it was built on something. It was built on knowledge of him through intimate relationship with him and not built on knowledge about him through what another person had said or what another person had done. If your, if your house, if your life is built on secondhand information only, there's nothing wrong with receiving revelation. There's nothing wrong with sitting under teaching. There's nothing wrong with being led in worship. But if you don't worship alone, if you don't know him and seek him and study the word alone, if you don't let the spirit of God come and open the word up and make revelation knowledge known to you firsthand that this is what the Lord has said to me. Not this is what the Lord said to Patty. That can encourage you into who he is and what he's like, but you have to go and get it from him yourself. Otherwise, you'll have a pretty looking house. And sometimes I think we can be fooled because our house has been standing there and it looks beautiful for quite a long time. But I promise you there's something that you're going to face in life at some point. That secondhand knowledge, secondhand revelation, being told about him can't stand. You're going to have to have something in you that you know him and you received from him. Paul said, that which I received from Christ Jesus, that I also give to you. And so there is this value in receiving what someone else has received, but it was to bring them to a place of intimacy with him so that they could receive for themselves. It was never the end. It was a means to the end. We live in a society right now where you could find out anything you wanted to know about anyone. But you would never, because you read their Wikipedia, say that you know them. But if we're not careful, we'll read God's Wikipedia. We'll hear people who maybe do know him. And we'll let that be a substitute for knowing him ourselves. And you can build a pretty looking house. How many of you guys realize that like, it was probably pretty hard when you were just walking by before the storm came to know which house was built on rock and which one was built on sand? Like, For all we know, the house that was built on sand looked better. It doesn't say their houses looked identical. Who knows, maybe because he didn't spend the time doing the foundation right, maybe he had more time to spend making the house look beautiful. Maybe people walking by would look and, and think, if I had to choose, that's the one I want. Until the storm came. Until the test came. 
And then everybody saw what was always there. The storm didn't create the problem. It revealed it. The storm doesn't create your response. It reveals what was in your heart. And the response is the visible presentation of the invisible truth that you've been living by all along. You know, the amazing thing, I was reading that story a while ago and Patty and I were talking about it. One of the amazing things is this, is one of the blessings of being a house built on stone is, for one, your house doesn't collapse. That's, that's a good thing, <laughs> right? Like your life doesn't collapse and fall apart. But the other amazing thing is, is that when there's people around you whose houses have fell, fell apart, who have collapsed, you can be someone who offers shelter. Your home can be a place of refuge to people whose lives weren't built on what your life was built on. There should be something different when everything is collapsing about those whose world is founded on and, and founded in and built on Jesus Christ. There should be something different in those times of calamity where people look and say, well, my house is destroyed, but they know something I don't because their house isn't. Everybody gets through the storm. Like if, you know, the, the house collapsed, you know, that doesn't say the person died. It just says their house was destroyed, right? So at the end of the day, they made it through the storm. What good is it making it through the storm with a collapsed house like everybody else? How does that bring glory and honor to Jesus if we just make it through, but we don't actually look different in the process? Like, the testimony wasn't just that they were alive after the storm. The testimony was that what their life was built on actually withstood the storm, and they looked the same before, during, and after the storm. Like, like if all we can do is after the storm's over, go, whoo! I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a time, like, after the storm to just be like, oh, Lord. But I am saying that if there wasn't a time during the process where your house actually stood and looked like it did before, that's a problem. Because how many of you guys understand that people go through things all the time that say there is no God and they actually make it through? The goal is not making it through. The goal is that we have something before it started that withstands and actually is a witness and a testimony to the faithfulness of God in the middle of the storm and after the storm. <laughs> Here, listen. Now y'all cut that out. It's church, it's serious business. <laughs> it,
if the storm destroys your life, then let it be and start over and do it right this time. Don't prop that thing back up. Let it fall to pieces. That's not to say there was nothing in there that was of value. It is to say, let that be and start over with the foundation being right and build it right this time. And don't worry about what it looks like as much as worrying about what it's built on. Because the most beautiful house built on sand is just a beautiful pile of trash after the storm. That's what Paul was saying. He said, all these things that I once held dear, I now count as rubbish, as loss, as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. And you can see that in Paul because when the storm comes and he's chained to the center of the prison where everybody else's waste is running, like, it wasn't like prison nowadays. Not that prison nowadays is, you know, all that good. <laughs> but it's a whole lot better than it was back then, especially if you were the object of irritation for the jailer. There were worse places that you could be, and the closer you were to the center and the farther down that you were, the more everybody else's stuff ran to you. So if you were the guy up, up the highest and farthest out, you just had to worry about dodging your own stuff. If you were a guy in the middle, you had to dodge everybody's. They were not in a great place. And how many of you understand there was no Bible verse that they could open up to that said, you know, when you find yourself in prison, if you just sing and worship, God will shake the prison, open the doors, and you'll be set free. They weren't worshiping to be set free. You can tell because the second that the jail doors open, they look and they see a prison guard who's going to kill himself. And instead of running and caring about their own life, they love their own lives not unto death. And they look and they see a man who's in trouble and they know they have the answer. And they don't stand on their, on their right to say, well, God, where's your God now? You know, they don't stand on that right to be like, huh, well, I guess I knew. You want to throw me in prison? No, they look and they say, God shook things. And when he did, it revealed something. And it revealed something in us because our eyes are open and our hearts are full of love. But it revealed something to him that there's something he doesn't have. And he feels hopeless. So we have the answer. Why would we leave and leave him hopeless when we could go be the answer to the problem? How many of you want to guess? that singing the next time by somebody who heard that story probably didn't cause the same result. Because it wasn't a formula, if you sing, I'll shake the prison. It was a formula of if you love me and follow me and lay down your life and love your own life not unto death, when a storm comes, what you have will actually be worth something, not just to you, but to the people around you. You guys at Exodus 28... Because there's something in here that reveals something. 
Exodus 20, verse 18 says this, All the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, Go to us, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. And in order that the fear of him... Notice he says, don't be afraid. He's come to test you so that the fear of him will keep you from sinning. There's, there's a difference in being afraid and not wanting to hear his voice and having a fear of him that keeps you walking in what the voice says. It wasn't, he didn't want them to have the fear that said, we don't want to hear him speak. He wanted them to have the fear that said, oh, we've heard you speak and there's nothing else our hearts would rather do than to follow what the voice said. He says, don't be afraid. He came here so that you would have fear. You have to be okay with the fact that God's okay with the fact that you don't understand everything. You can go do a word study and try to parse that out and figure it out. Or you can say, you know what? There must be a fear that's healthy that keeps me walking in his ways, and that's the one that I want. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the, the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. You notice he starts there. He says, Tell them they saw that I'm speaking. Oh, and tell them not to make any gods, not of silver or of gold. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And he goes on and gives them more instructions. But the first thing he says to them is, I brought you here so that you wouldn't do the thing that I don't want you to do. And here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to make any gods. Don't make them out of silver or gold. I want you to do this, and I want you to do that, and... But here's the thing I brought you here. The very first thing I say to you is, I don't want you to do this. Skip ahead 12 chapters to chapter 32. Moses at this point has been gone for 40 days to meet with God. You know what's amazing to me? I was counting it this morning. I asked Patty, I said, what day did Aaliyah check into the rehabilitation facility? You know, one thing that was amazing to me, well, I'll get to it in one second. Hold that thought. It's awesome. Chapter uh, 32, verse 1 says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a gravening tool and made it into a molten calf, and they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The very thing that God brought them to the mountain and said, Don't do. The person who spoke to them on God's behalf, being gone for 40 days, causes them to do. 
If you don't know him for yourself and have an intimate relationship with him for yourself, you won't be able to stand when the person or the place or the thing that you receive from isn't around for a little while. And suddenly you'll find yourself doing the very thing that God said not to do because you have to have something to replace that void. Moses is gone for 40 days. The people forget about God. They forget about his commands. They say, we don't, as for Moses, we don't know what's been, you realize it says this, it says, and when Moses was delayed, you know, sometimes delay will reveal what's actually in your heart. Want to bet God didn't think Moses was delayed? Sometimes we have an idea of how fast something should happen, and when it doesn't happen as fast as we think, we call it delay, and we start looking for another answer, and we turn our back on the very things that God's already spoke to us. Or we press into him, and after 40 days, we walk out of the wilderness in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, and we walk into the temple and declare that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. I was, I was counting the days when we were back there because I realized it was exactly 40 days that Aaliyah was in the hospital before she checked into rehabilitation. And you know what happened in the church in those 40 days? It grew. It continued growing. People stepped in and did everything that needed to be done. Bible studies still happened. Messages still got preached. People still got counseled. Everything that needed to happen still happened because I'm not the person that makes this church happen. I'm not Moses going up the mountain and coming down with something for a bunch of baby birds who aren't okay if Moses doesn't come back for 40 days. We have a bunch of people in here that actually know him for themselves and have an intimate relationship. And so if something happens where I can't do what I normally do for 40 days, they're quite okay to step in and say, we know God just as well. We can do this stuff. That's pretty amazing to me and makes me feel really, really, really happy as a leader that I can say that. Because our job as leaders are to bring people to a place where they know him for themselves, not to where we're needed. You need Jesus. You don't need me. I hope you like me. (laughs) I do. People that tell you, I don't care if anyone likes me, they've long cared. They care more than the people that don't say that. They just think that maybe people don't like them, so they want to get it, you know, well, you're going to break up me, I'm breaking up with you. It's that thing, right? Like, oh, you came here to break up with me? Well, good, because I was coming here to break up with you. I don't care if anyone likes you. You know what they're saying? They're saying, I think that people don't like me, and it really hurts me, and I want to make sure no one thinks that I'm hurt. It's the truth. But here's the thing. If your relationship is based on anything other than an intimate relationship with him, yourself, where you know him, yourself, when the person or the place or whatever it is that is your go-between between God and you disappears, what will you do? You want to know what they did? They took something that was a blessing of God and made a God out of it and worshipped it. How'd they get the gold earrings? The Egyptians, why? Because God said, tell them to, to, to ask them for them and they'll give them to you. 
God moved in the heart of the Egyptians to give the gold to the Israelites. The Israelites then moved, or the Israelites, sorry, took the thing that God blessed them with, made a God out of it, and then worshiped it. If we don't know him, we'll begin to worship the things that he gives us as God rather than worshiping him and appreciating and enjoying the blessings that he gives us. There's a lot of funky things that happen if we don't actually know him for ourselves. So, this is the thing that struck me. They said, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I wrote this down, I just want to read it. It says, we can be around God, see his work, see his miracles, have someone speak God's word to us, and if we're not careful, we can end up with a relationship that can't sustain us without someone filling its place for 40 days. You want to know the most crazy thing about this I realized during worship? That morning when they woke up, they collected manna, and they ate manna. And that was what gave them the strength to go and complain against the one who provided the manna and create a God to worship in his place. If we ever stop being thankful for what God has done for us, it will very soon lead us to a place where disappointment and discouragement for what we haven't seen yet has the loudest voice and will turn our back on the one who made us able to turn our backs and create a God that we can worship that does what we want because the God that we worship isn't doing what we want when we want it. I've noticed that. I'll, I'll close with this. One thing I've noticed is that there are sometimes we're still going through delay in a sense. We're still in the waiting of seeing the fulfillment of God's promise to heal and completely restore Aaliyah. There's still some things that are being rehabilitated. There's still some things that she's healing from. There's still some surgeries that have to happen. There's, they're all minor. Um, but there's still some things that have to be fixed. There's still some things that need to be healed. There's still some things that he's, we're waiting on. And, I, and I've, one thing I've realized is this, if I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do in the morning when I, is, is remember what he's done, I have a hard time that day complaining about the things that he hasn't done yet. If the first thing they did when they woke up in the morning when they gathered their manna is would have remembered that he was the one who provided it, they probably would have had a hard time grumbling against him and creating a false god. I, I, I feel like there's, there's something in that, and I have a message that I think I'm going to preach next week about the three different kinds of manna. There was the manna they collected every day. There was the manna they collected that sustained them longer than the day they collected it. And then there was the manna that stood in the jar that was a testimony that lasted for 40 years. We need all three of them. We need something we got that day from him. We need something that's sustaining us that we got the other day. And we need something that's a testimony that never goes stale. If we would let every single day when we wake up, the first thing that we do is remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done, the rest of the day we would have a hard time forgetting and wanting something or someone else to take his place. Just think about this. You're an Israelite. You wake up that morning, 
you go outside, and there, covering the ground, are these little flecks. How'd they get there? The Lord. What are they for? Sustaining us. What do they taste like? It says, like wafers with honey. It wasn't enough for him to just provide what he provided actually tasted good. Like, even that's a revelation of his nature and his character. He could have made it bland and tasteless. As long as it sustained them physically, it would have been enough. But he said, it's not enough for me to just give you something that sustains you. I actually want you to enjoy it. It's perfectly okay to enjoy the life that God created you to live. In fact, he probably wants you to. He just never wants the things that he gives you to become the object of your worship. And so they wake up that morning and and they go out and it's been 40 days and probably they've started grumbling because how many of you know that you don't just build a calf in one day? It probably took 40 days of grumbling, complaining, disappointment and discouragement before they finally reached the point of saying, okay, let's do something about this. It's not like day 39, they were like, great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. And then day 40, they were like, build the calf, (laughs) you know? I promise you, it was this slow thing that started with them not being grateful for what they woke up to every single morning. And and probably it started out, it was like on day one when Moses was gone, they woke up and they're like, oh, this is amazing. It's still here. Every day, every single day, he's faithful. You're so faithful. Thank you. Gather it up and... You know, day 10, they're like, oh, it's here again. But where's Moses? Day 20, they're like, go get the manna. Is Moses back yet? By day 30, they're like, this is all we have. I guess we have to eat it. Where's Moses? Let's get out of here. He's disappeared on us. Is he even going to come back? I don't know. I heard the people in the other tent the other day saying they didn't even think he was coming back. Really? Yeah, no one knows what's happened to him. Maybe he died on the mountain. Day 38. Manna. Where's Moses? Let's get out of here. Why did God bring us out here anyways? To die? How long are we going to have to stay here? Why does he always have to go up on the mountain anyways? Hey, just go up in the mountain. You stay here. I'll be back. It's not coming back. Day 40, it's not really that far of a stretch. But here's the thing. Look at what they say. Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. When we lose sight of the fact that it's actually the Lord and we put our faith in a man, when the man disappoints us, we'll actually blame God for it and we'll go looking for another God. You have to know him for yourself. If anything I said today does anything in your heart, let it be to encourage you to know him for yourself. Because I can't build your house for you. I can just tell you the way that he said to build it. I can encourage you where to find the stone. I can tell you where you can get it, but I can't build your foundation for you. You have to do that. And I don't want a bunch of people, and I, and I'm, and I believe we're not, but I never, it, it like terrifies me that I would ever be in a place of leading a bunch of people with pretty houses 
that look amazing until a storm comes and then there's just a pile of rubble. I want us to be those people that in the middle of the storm look the same as we did at the beginning before the storm came. And at the end of the storm, we look the same. And maybe we even look a little bit better because during the process of standing, we actually became more secure in who he is and what he's like. We added a little bit more to our house during the storm because there's something there that wasn't there before the storm because he proved himself faithful and he was faithful to his word. And what we said we believed, we actually lived out and now we're even more sure of it because we've seen it. That's all I want us to be. Not people that if your source dried up for a little bit, he's a never-ending source. He never dries up. He never runs out. So Father, would you let us be those houses, God? God, I thank you that in times of delay, rather than turning away from you and making an image of you that does what we want, God, that we would stay faithful, that we would trust you. God, that on day 40, our attitude would be the same as it was on day one. God, that we start it by faith, we would finish it by faith. God, I just thank you for building a house for each of us, building a life that is anchored and grounded in you. Not in knowing about you, in knowing you. Not hoping that the house next door's foundation will be good enough for ours, God, knowing that our foundation, that what we've built our life upon is you, God. Just bring us into that place, Father. Lead us and and guide us and draw us and woo us to that place of, of, of needing to be alone with you, God, of needing to have more of you, of where, where we feel like we're just, we're just in a place of like, I got to be alone. I have to be with him. I have to be with him. I need him. I need more of him. Where, where you would, we would feel starving, God, even if we're completely full of everything else, God, if we haven't been with you that day, if we haven't been with you that hour, God, that, that we would just have this need inside of us that says, I have to get alone with him. I have to be with him. I have to know him more. If I can, I want it. I have to know him. I have to have him for myself. And I just thank you for that, God. I thank you for your great faithfulness. God, I, I do thank you. I, I thank you, God, that I, I, I feel like this morning was, there was a, it was a prophetic moment where, 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 where Patty's standing on stage and singing that song that was such a song of hope and such a song of faith at one time. It says that once what is hoped for is seen, they no longer need hope. It becomes a testimony, but it can spark that same hope in somebody else. And I believe it was a prophetic moment of just saying, like, don't lose hope. Don't let go. Stay steadfast because he's steadfast. Stay faithful because he is faithful. Don't give up. Don't let delay cause you to forget who he is and what he's done. So Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.